Hey, Christ Community Church, how are you guys doing? Good. Uh, before I pray, uh, let me say I get to preach in St. Charles on Saturday night this weekend, and I get to preach at our Streamwood campus on Sunday morning uh, this weekend. And so uh, for those of you who are watching me live or you are watching the video cast, if you're at one of the other campuses or watching online, welcome. Let's pray together and ask God to teach us something from his word that will change our lives, okay? Would you pray with me? God, uh, you ultimately are the one who can make your word live in our hearts and lives. You're the one who wrote this book through human authors. Uh, you're the one who knows exactly what you, you, you brought us here this weekend to say to us. And so I pray that you would open closed hearts and closed ears, and God, that you would make us attentive to what your spirit is saying. You are our life coach. We look to you to apply this to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me tell you a story, okay? And in honor of Sanctity of Life weekend, this is a, this is a really cool pro-life story. It's about a dude named Peter. Okay, Peter lives in Toledo, Ohio. He's a husband. He's a dad of a couple of kids. And uh, one day, Peter was participating in a 40 Days for Life prayer campaign outside an abortion clinic in Toledo, Ohio, his hometown. And uh, we've done this. If this sounds familiar to you, uh, the last several years in the fall, we've participated in 40 Days for Life praying outside of the Planned Parenthood in Aurora. So that's what Peter was doing on, on this occasion. And as he was praying for women who were going in and out of the clinic, he had a deep heart desire to connect with somebody. And so he called out, a woman was leaving, she was walking toward her car, and he called out, hey, can I talk to you? And she looked at him and she said, no, I don't want to talk. Now, just a little background here, the woman he called out to, her name is Tamisha. Uh, Tamisha was there investigating the possibility of an abortion. She had already had four abortions. She was homeless. She had just come out of rehab. And she was, she was conflicted over the possibility of this impending abortion. And so she paused just a moment, which gave Peter an opportunity to call out again. He said, hey, my name is Peter. I'm here with 40 Days for Life. I just want to help. No response. So Peter called out another time. He called out, you know, if, if you ever consider adoption, my wife and I would be open to the possibility of adopting your baby. And when Peter said that, P Peter was absolutely sincere. You know, that, that was a real-life offer. And that ca caught Tamisha's attention. And she turned around and they began to talk. They exchanged phone numbers. And the next day, uh, Peter took Tamisha to, a, to a, a pregnancy, a crisis pregnancy center, help center. Uh, where she was able to get an ultrasound. and You know, the minute she saw her baby in the ultrasound, she fell in love with him. And she looked at Peter and she said, is it okay with you if I keep him? And Peter said, well, of course, absolutely. That'd be wonderful. And so Tamisha gave birth to a little baby, Amir. She named him Amir Peter. Amir Peter. And Peter and his wife and his uh, two kids have become extended family now to Tamisha and her little boy. Isn't that a powerful story? 
You know, the 40 Days for Life campaign, when it rolls around again uh, next fall, I will probably challenge you to, you know, consider signing up for a 30-minute prayer slot down at, at Planned Parenthood in Aurora, or maybe to volunteer at some point if you're interested in a crisis pregnancy center where you can love on women who are challenged with an unwanted pregnancy. I, I will probably encourage you to look, since it's an election year, to look for candidates, local and, and national, who will protect life in the womb, though those candidates are becoming harder and harder to find, and I'm not suggesting that this is a one-issue sort of thing. But, but no pro-life challenge I, I give you in the future will be as powerful as the story I just told you, because stories are powerful. S stories move people. Stories get past people's defenses. Even if this isn't an issue you care about, you hear about a story like that, and you go, oh, that's so cool. Stories silence objections. Stories motivate people to do something, to take an action step. Well, today we're going to talk about stories, not pro-life stories. That was just my intro, okay? We're going to talk about our personal faith in Christ stories because many, if not most of you who are listening today, you have such a story, and I want to encourage you to tell your story. Tell your story, especially to your neighbors, Okay, we're in the second week of a four-part series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And you, you've heard me say that uh, love your neighbor is the second greatest commandment in the Bible. I'm just quoting Jesus on that. It's right up there next to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. And, and we believe at Christ Community Church, if we're going to love our neighbor, it begins by meeting our neighbor. Got to meet your neighbor. Can't love somebody you never met. And th then it continues on to hosting your neighbor at some point in your home, making them feel welcome, and then inviting, third step, inviting your neighbor to consider Jesus Christ in a conversation. And one of the best ways to open up a conversation with our neighbors or, or with anybody about Jesus is to tell our story of faith in Christ because stories are powerful. Stories are powerful. Now, I want you to turn with me if you brought one of these. If you brought a Bible with you, would you turn to Acts chapter 22? You'll find it about two-thirds of the way into your Bible, the middle of the New Testament. Today, we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul's faith in Christ story. This is how Paul came to a point of surrendering his life to Jesus. Interestingly, this story is told not once, not twice, but three times in the book of Acts. Okay, the first time it's told is in Acts chapter 9, and it's not the Apostle Paul doing the telling, it's a buddy of his by the name of Luke. Uh, Dr. Luke, to be exact, Dr. Luke was a first century physician. He was a sometimes traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. So that's the first telling in Acts 9. The third telling is in Acts 26. And at that point in Paul's life, he is on trial for his faith before a local ruler by the name of King Agrippa. And so he's giving King Agrippa the details of how he came to convert to Christianity, how he surrendered his life to Jesus. So those are the first and the third tellings. We're about to take a look at the second telling of Paul's story in Acts 22. Let me give you the background for this telling. Okay, the Apostle Paul one day is worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, even though he's a Christ follower, he's got a Jewish background, so it's not unusual that he would be at the temple. But some of his Jewish antagonists see him. 
Okay, they recognize him as the guy who's been promoting Christianity, and they start to stir up trouble. They're certain that Paul has brought some of his Gentile buddies, okay, some of his Christian friends, into the court uh, that is to be reserved for Jewish men only. And so they begin to spread the word. It's not true, by the way. He hadn't done anything of the kind. But they spread the word, and a riot ensues. And pretty soon they got Paul in hand, and they are beating the living daylights out. They're beating Paul to a pulp. You know, their plan is to kill him right there in the the temple. And a group of Roman soldiers hear the commotion. Now, there was a, a Roman soldier barracks at the northwest corner of the temple grounds. St. Antonio's Fortress is what it was called. And so these soldiers come running, and they rescue Paul from the mob, and they're leading him away. They're taking him into protective custody. And Paul says, well, wait a second. Do you mind if I address the crowd, which is, which is really a mob? I say, well, okay, Paul, if that's what you want to do. And Paul tells his story. This is the second telling of his story. Now, there are four things we want to learn from this story as we take a look at it today, okay? Four steps to telling our story, our faith in Christ story to others, especially our neighbors. The first step is this, and if you haven't taken your outline out, I encourage you to fill it in as we go, especially if you're in a community group, because for the next several weeks while we're in this series, all our community groups are going to be studying this very same thing. So you want to want to remember what you learned today so uh, you know you can hash it out with the members of your community group sometime this week. So four steps to creating your own story of faith in Christ. Step number one is this. You've you got to tell it in parts. Okay, when you put your story together, you, you put it together in three basic parts. There's life before Christ, and then surrender to Christ, and then life since following Christ. Okay, three parts, life before Christ, my surrender to Christ, my life since following Christ. So I'm going to read to you the first part of Acts 22, the first part of Paul's story. This is life before Christ. I'm going to pick it up in the middle of verse 2 if you want to follow along. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. This way means Christianity, okay, Christians. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. We're going to stop right there in the middle of Paul's story. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And this is also Paul's story. What I read to you was the before, the before he surrendered his life to Christ part of the story. And what I find instructive about the the way Paul told his story is that he was able to connect with two very different groups of people. Okay, first group of people he connects with are, are those from a religious background. Look at verse 3. He says, I'm a Jew. You know, I I was trained. I was, uh, you know, taught by Gamaliel, who was one of the most famous rabbis in Jewish history. Okay, not not only that, he said, I I was uh, trained in the law of God. This is the religious law. He, He was a Bible student, if you would. And I was zealous for God. So Paul had been religious. But, but there's a big difference between religion and a genuine relationship with God, right? 
And, and that's what our neighbors need to hear. See, some of them may be, may be card-carrying Catholics or Baptists or Mormons or Muslims, but the question is, have they ever surrendered their life to Christ? Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So there's got to be a surrender to Christ. So if the first part of your faith in Christ story is that you were religious before you came to an understanding of what it means to surrender your life to Jesus, make sure you include that when you're telling your story to others. Some of your neighbors are going to be able to identify with that. You know, when I tell my story, you know, my before picture, I'm always careful to point out I grew up in a church-going, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring home. But it wasn't until I got to college as a freshman in college that I truly surrendered my life fully to Jesus Christ. So Paul identified with the religious types, but on the other hand, Paul also had a dark side to his past. I don't know if you picked that up as I was reading the opening verses of Acts 22 to you. Look again at verse 4. He says, I persecuted, I persecuted the followers of this way, Christians, to their death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Now, Paul's ultra-religious audience in Acts 22, they might have thought that this part of the story was perfectly okay. You know, but in other contexts, Paul used his, his murderous persecution of Christians to illustrate the fact that he'd been a pretty bad guy. I mean, he'd been bad to the bone. He referred to himself on one occasion as the worst of sinners. So when, when you're telling your faith in Christ's story to others, you know, don't hesitate to share the dark side of who you were before Jesus. Now, it, it, it's not that you don't, have, you, know, you don't have to have anything as bad as Paul to, to divulge, but you do want to be willing to admit maybe there was a nasty divorce or, or maybe there was a time when you were in, enslaved to an addiction or Maybe just you were known as a person who was obnoxiously prideful or you had a materialistic bent or a, a wicked anger. See, if, if we want to interest our neighbors in the salvation that Christ offers, then we've got to demonstrate what he saved us from. You get it? Good. You know, this is what Jesus saved me from. And again, don't, don't misunderstand. This doesn't have to be anything really heinous. When I tell my story, you know, I tell it like this. I say, you know, so I went away to college and I, you know, got hooked on this girl and I fell madly in love with her and she broke up with me. And when she broke up with me, it caused me to take a good look at myself. And you know, when I took a good look at myself, I didn't like what I saw. You know, I, 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 saw, I saw a young man who was uh, really big into himself. You know, self-centeredness was the theme of my life. My world revolved around me. Uh, my priorities, okay, my dating relationships, my friendships, all revolved. What was in this for me? And I came to the place in my life where I got sick and tired of that, and I wanted a change. Okay, that's my before picture, if you would. When, when you tell your story, it helps to begin with what you were sick and tired of before you surrendered to Christ. So that's part one, my life before Christ. Part two, the three parts of your story, part two is my surrender to Christ. So go back to Acts 22, and let's pick up where we left off, verse 6. Paul is speaking, 
He says, about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul. This is Paul's Jewish name, by the way. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? Okay, that's the key question. What shall I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Okay, if you're a Christ follower here today, there was a moment in time when you surrendered your life to Jesus. And and my guess is that for most of us, you know, we didn't experience something quite as dramatic as as Paul did. We We were probably not blinded by a brilliant light, right? We probably didn't hear an audible voice from heaven pointing out our serious sins and then directing us to a person who would help us take our next step. That's probably not your story. However, I'm certain there were some basic details associated with the surrender part of your story. So what were the circumstances surrounding your decision to surrender to Christ? I mean, why did you make that decision when you made that decision? Who who was it that helped you? Who was it that coached you through that? When and where did you make that decision? How how did you talk to God? When you you prayed on that occasion, what, what did you say? How did you let God know you're all in? What were, what were the details that surrounded your actual decision to surrender to Christ? The what, the why, the who, the when and where, the how. Let me apply this for a moment to the story of Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, This is MLK weekend. Most of us know that, that MLK uh, was not only a hero in the civil rights movement, he was also a Baptist pastor. But, but did you know that... He served for years as a pastor. He was engaged in church ministry before he fully surrendered his life to Christ. Did you know that? You know, I I recently read a biography of his written by a guy named Stephen Oates. Let the trumpet sound, it's called. And he tells the the story this way. Uh, MLK went to seminary and he got all this theological education. But when he left, he had doubts. He was confused about the Bible and about Jesus and about salvation. And and then he gets a pastor gig, and he becomes part of the civil rights movement. And one night he comes home late. He's been part of a meeting, and he's exhausted. He's discouraged, and he goes to bed, and he can't sleep. And the phone rings, and he hears an angry voice on the other end spitting out the N-word and then saying, if you're not out of town in three days, we're going to blow up your house. And so he gets out of bed and he goes into his kitchen and makes himself a cup of coffee and he sits down at the kitchen table and he puts his head in his hands and he begins to pray, Lord, I'm so weak. You know, people are looking to me for leadership and I've got nothing. I can't face this challenge alone. I need you. I need you. You know, that's surrender. MLK later said that he heard the voice of Jesus saying, I'm with you and I will never, I will never leave you alone. Stephen Oates writes in his biography, and I quote, King's trembling stopped and he felt an inner calm he had never experienced before. For the first time, for the first time, God was profoundly real and personal to him. 
The idea of a personal God was no longer some metaphysical category he found philosophically and theologically satisfying. No, God was very close to him, a living God who could transform his life. So how would you describe your decision to surrender to Christ? You know, you, you don't need to know the specific day it happened. In fact, maybe it happened over a period of time. But what were some of the details surrounding your surrender? Okay, part one of your story, my life before Christ. Part two, my surrender to Christ. Part three, my life since following Christ. Back to Acts 22, pick it up at verse 11. You know, Paul has just encountered Christ, and he's been told that God has an assignment for him. Verse 11, my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people. You will be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Okay, this is the beginning of the after picture. Okay, what happened to Paul after he surrendered his life to Jesus. Well, he tells us here that God commissioned him to spread the good news about Jesus to all people everywhere. And that's what Paul immediately began to do. He took the gospel to the four corners of the then known earth. What has happened to you? What has happened to you since the day you began following Christ? In other words, what difference has Jesus made in your life? Has he changed your character? In what ways? In what ways has Christ changed your character? Has he made a difference in your priorities? How about in your relationships? Maybe in your marriage? How about in your understanding of the Bible? I hear people say all the time, you know, this book was so boring to me and I surrendered my, my life to Christ and it lights me up when I read it now. What difference has Jesus made in your time commitments, in your concern for others, in your concern for the poor? By the way, just a side note here. If you can't look at, at, at things and say, this is the difference Christ has made since beginning to follow him, then maybe, just a thought, maybe you haven't surrendered your life to Christ yet. Because he makes a difference. So tell your story, tell it in parts. Before Christ, surrender to Christ, since following Christ. Now, a quick footnote uh, to this first point, because some of you surrendered your lives to Jesus at a very early age, and you have been faithfully following him ever since. So you're thinking, as I'm sharing this, you, you don't have much of a before Christ part to your story. I mean, you were like 10 years old at the time, right? So what do you say when you're telling your faith in Christ's story to others? What do you say to your neighbors? Okay, let me give you three quick tips. If you trusted Christ early on, tip number one, don't be shy about telling your story just because you were, were young and the life change wasn't dramatic at the time. Okay, if it's your story, it's true. If it's your story, it really happened. It's, it's authentic and God can use it. You know, there, there, there was a 
an interviewee at one of our, our uh, Inspiring Stories weekends a couple of years ago, a guy by the name of Gene McGuire. Don't know if you remember that, if you were here back in 2017. Uh, Gene spent 35 years in prison on a charge that he was not guilty of. Okay, and while in prison, he met Christ. And it was really interesting the way it came about. Well, I'm interviewing him. I discover it's because a, a local pastor came by the jail and told his story of conversion, how as a little boy he had surrendered his life to Jesus and been following Jesus ever since. And something about that story got through to this prison-hardened guy, Gene McGuire. He said, all I could think was, I wish that had been my story. But, you know, you, you know maybe it can still be my story. Maybe I can meet Christ. Never underestimate how the simplicity of your story, if you trusted Jesus at an early age, never underestimate how God could use that in the life of somebody else. Second tip I give you is this. You know, describe more recent occasions when you've had to surrender uh, in some area of your life to Christ, maybe for the sake of forgiveness or because you needed his help. Okay, because the, the Christian life is a series of surrendering to him, isn't it? Okay, so, so maybe you surrendered to Christ the first time when you were eight years old, but I'll bet you maybe in the past week or past month or past year, you've had an occasion to surrender again to Christ, maybe because of a moral failure, or maybe you were going through a difficult time, a broken marriage or a health crisis, a miscarriage. Maybe you faced an injustice at work or you were struggling with a bitter resentment towards someone. Tell that story. And then tell how even in recent days, it was that decision you made as an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old to surrender your life to Christ that has enabled you all along the path of life to surrender again and again and again to his leadership in your life. Here's a third tip. Okay, and this one's going to sound crazy. All right, if, if you've got a story that I surrendered to Christ when I was just a kid, so, you know, that's not a big deal, tell somebody else's story. Okay, stop and think about it. Three times Paul's story is told in the book of Acts. The first time, it's not Paul telling it. The first time, it's his buddy. It's Dr. Luke telling the story. Tell somebody else's story of dramatic life change. And my father-in-law passed away, went home to be with Jesus six months ago. And uh, after he died, I would uh, update friends and neighbors with the news, and they all expressed sympathy to me. Oh, that's too bad. And when, and I would say, you know, I'm overjoyed for my father-in-law. And then I would add, let me tell you his story real quick. And I would give him a, a one, two-minute version of my father-in-law's story. And I would say, you know, my, my father-in-law managed to hold God at arm's length for 89 years of his life. But at 89 years of age, my mother-in-law got Alzheimer's and dad now had to drive her to church and he would go in and he'd sit and he'd listen to the sermon and finally God, God got through to him and at 89 years of age, he surrendered to Christ. And you know, we saw such a difference in his life. This guy who before had been frugal, I mean, he had been miserly. He was so tight with his money, became a generous person, giving money away to worthy causes and to his church and so on. We just saw Jesus light up his life, and I tell that story again in a couple of minutes. So if you're looking at your life and you're selling, saying, I don't got a great story, to tell somebody else's story. Okay, so our first step in telling our story to others, tell your story in parts. Before, surrender, this is since following Jesus. Number two, 
tell your story after practice. Okay, tell it after practice. Now, here's an interesting insight that I picked up on this week as I was studying the three versions of Paul's story in the book of Acts. We're, we're in Acts 22. Okay, but one of the things I noticed as I compared Acts 22 with Paul's story as told in Acts 9 and Acts 26 is that all three stories are pretty much alike. Okay, there's occasionally a little detail added here or subtracted from one of the versions, but, but they are amazingly alike, almost identical. And what I learned from, listen, what I learned from that is the three stories follow the same basic outline. Okay, this is a well-rehearsed story. And so my recommend to you is if you want to tell your faith in Christ story to others, especially to your neighbors, and you want to tell it well and practice it, rehearse it. Say, what are you talking about? Well, for starters, get out a pencil and a piece of paper or, or you know, get a blank screen on your, your laptop and write out the before, the surrender, the after. And you got to do it in just one sheet. Okay, because you got to be able to read this in three minutes or less. That's the challenge. All right, three minutes or less. Now, uh, let me put in a plug, if I could, for baptism at this point. If you have never gotten baptized since surrendering your life to Jesus, the Bible says that's a really important step for you to take. So it doesn't matter whether you got baptized as an infant or, or not. If you've trusted Christ, you've surrendered your life to him, but never gone under the water and come back out, all through the book of Acts, we're told... That's your big step. you got to take it. Now, if you get baptized at Christ Community Church, you have to go to one of our orientation classes. It's about an hour long, and we offer it several times. Our next baptism is February 15 and 16, but one of the things we ask you to do in our baptism class is to write out your story, the before, the surrender, the after. So if you're looking for something to motivate you, to light a fire under you, to actually sit down and craft your story, and you've never gotten baptized, go to a baptism orientation class, and then plan to get baptized on February 15 or 16. Okay, so write out your story. Sketch it out if you would. Your before picture, don't go all around the universe. Okay, just pick a theme. Like for me, I told you, the theme was self-centeredness. Just takes a few seconds to tell that side of the story. Then the surrender, then the, this is what's happened in my life since. Then, then begin to practice it out loud. Say it again and say it in front of a mirror. You know, say it with a family member. Say it, say it to a good friend of yours. If you're in a community group, especially, listen, community group leaders, all 300 or so of you, make sure the people in your group practice their story this week. Now, if, you know, you don't want to do it in front of the whole group, break them up into pairs and one-on-one -on -one and take three minutes, one person tell their story, and three minutes, the other person tell their story. Maybe what you'll discover is, oh, some of the people in my group don't have a story yet Be because they're just now realizing they've never surrendered to Christ. That's a great thing to discover in a community group. So rehearse your story. J.P. Moreland is a, a, a devoted follower of Jesus. He is a college philosophy professor. And uh, several years back, he debated one of the leading intellectual atheists in the world. Okay, and he, he did it in front of a huge crowd on a university campus. You talk about a little, little bit of stress there. So I've been reading a book by J.P. Moreland the last couple of weeks. It's a, a book on how to develop habits in your life that will uh, bring about spiritual growth. And one of the habits he recommends is learning how to tell your story and habitually tell your story on a regular basis. He says, when I got started, I was terrified. I was terrified to tell other people about Jesus. But 
one day I sat down and I wrote out my story and I kind of committed it to memory and I memorized two or three Bible verses to go with it and then I practiced it with some friends and then I dared, I dared to tell somebody who I, I didn't think was a believer and I told him my story and then I told another somebody and then I told another somebody and then I told another and over time, those multiple uh, tellings of my story led to the day when I stood on the platform of a crowded auditorium on a university campus and I debated one of the uh, world-renowned atheists of the day. How did it all get started? And I started telling my story again and again and again and again. Practice. Tell your story with practice. Number three, tell it with power. Tell it with power. Now, when I say tell your story with, with power, I'm not suggesting that power is something that you try to work up on your own. You've got to get some power behind this. No, not at all. The, the power comes from God, and all, listen, all you need to do is start talking, and the power kicks in. See, the Apostle John who wrote the New Testament book of Revelation. He wrote this book of Revelation for Christ followers who were being persecuted because of their faith. And some of them were losing their jobs because they were Christ followers, and some were getting beat up, and some, some were even getting killed. And so they were a little reluctant to share their story, to be courageous enough to share their story. Some of them were keeping their, their personal faith in Christ's story to themselves. And so John writes to them in Revelation 12, verse 11, reminding them that this is a spiritual battle they're in. And he says, let me tell you how Satan gets defeated. He said, people who have defeated Satan in the past, and I read to you from Revelation 12, verse 11, they triumphed over him, over Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. How do you beat Satan in spiritual warfare? It's by the blood of the Lamb and by the power by the word of your testimony. See, when, when we tell others our story, when we tell them about Christ's death on the cross for us, his blood, the blood of the lamb shed to pay for my transgressions, my sins, and, and then I surrendered my life to Jesus and he gave me forgiveness and new life, that story packs punch. You know, when we dare... Listen, friends, when we dare to tell our faith in Christ's story to a neighbor or friend, we can count on the fact that the Satan-defeating power of God is at work. Even if we feel at the time that we're, we're just kind of stumbling through our presentation, I'm doing such a lousy job, and besides that, they've checked out, they're not even listening, look at the body language, they, they're not hearing a thing I say, just open your mouth. You know, Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, because it is the power, not his presentation, the gospel itself is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You know, Paul did not hesitate to tell his story, and God's power showed up when he did. And you say, well, you know, that was Paul. Yeah, Paul was kind of a risk-taking super extroverted, crazy for Christ dude, right? I mean, just look at the story uh, we're, we're studying today in Acts chapter 22. I mean, a mob wants to kill him, all right? Roman soldiers come and rescue him, and as they're leading, leading him away, he says, wait a second, can I have a word with the mob? I mean, the guy's nuts, okay? He's certifiably crazy. So, 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 so you think that, that Paul was just naturally courageous? 
naturally. Listen to what Paul asked his friends to pray for him. This is Ephesians 6, verses 19 and 20. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray for me. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. See, Paul needed prayer to be fearless in telling his story. Evidently, courage was not a natural part of his personality. You know, as I was studying this passage, Acts 22 this week, I was working with several commentaries written by Bible scholars, and one of them writes, according to tradition, Paul was only a little fellow and unprepossessing in appearance, balding with beetle brows, hooked nose, and bandy legs. I have no idea what bandy legs are. Yeah. But you get the picture. Physically, Paul was not an imposing dude. Emotionally, Paul had to pray for courage. But once he prayed for courage and others were praying for him to have courage, he, he would open his mouth, and when he opened his mouth and he told his story, guess what? God's power showed up. I mean, here, here, here's a takeaway for you and me, friends. Let's pray for courage and then open our mouths. Okay, just throw your hat over that fence and begin to tell your story and expect God's power to go to work. You get it? Good, good. Number four, tell it with permission. Tell your story with permission. I, I think the hardest part of telling my faith in Christ story is getting started. Can you identify with that? Okay, you know, how do you get started? You know, how do, we, how do we transition from an ordinary conversation about the weather or about who we're pulling for in the Super Bowl or about how, you know, awful the tater tots are in the school cafeteria or, you know, what kind of stress we're facing at work? How do you go from that kind of a conversation to telling your story about Christ? How do we get permission, as it were, permission from our neighbors and friends to talk about Jesus? Yeah, every Christ follower I know struggles with this. And so, so it really caught my attention in today's scripture text when I saw the word permission pop up. See, before Paul told his story, now he tells his story beginning at verse 2 in Acts 22. But if you go to the end of verse 21, we read that the army officer who rescued Paul gave him permission, I circled the word permission in my Bible, to address the crowd. And then when I was comparing this version of the story with Paul's telling of the story in Acts 26 before King Agrippa, guess what I discovered? King Agrippa says to Paul, Paul, I now give you permission to speak. How do we gain permission from our neighbors and our friends to tell our faith in Christ story? Real quickly, let me give you four tips and then we'll close. Okay, first tip is this, look for common ground. Look for common, show an interest in what your neighbors and what other people are interested in. I'm talking about a sincere interest, not a fakey interest. Okay, when this army officer, this, uh, this guy rescued Paul, Paul immediately turned to the guy and began to speak in Greek, which was not the language of the crowd, but it was the language of the army officer. Paul began to speak in him, to him in his language. And Paul said, hey, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen too. I'm a Jew, but I'm a Roman citizen. In fact, I, I hail from the town of Tarsus, which was a famous Roman university town. 
And so Paul's looking for common ground with this guy, and this guy says, you have permission to talk to the crowd. You know, look for common ground. That may require that you show a sincere interest in fishing or in pets or in tattoos or grandkids or, you know, it may mean you, you watch a lot of Instagram photos of grandkids, so Mexican food or you name it. Ask questions about their interests. You know, and eventually you ask questions about other people's interests. Sooner or later they say, well, what are your interests? And you say, you know, I'll tell you one of the biggest interests in my life is uh, following Christ. Let me tell you how it began. And boom, you're off into your two or three minute version of your story. Second tip for you, ask others about their spiritual journey. I mean, we ask them about other stuff. Ask about their spiritual journey. There's an old adage that there are two things you should never talk about, right? What are the two things? Religion and politics. Don't talk about that. You know what I've discovered? People don't mind talking about religion at all. If you'll ask them questions that are non-intimidating and that are respectful. So when you ask questions like, hey, are you a churchgoer? Or, or did you grow up believing in God? Or, you know, have you ever received an answer to something you prayed about? So you ask others about their spiritual journey, and guess what? Sooner or later, they turn it around and they say, what about you? What about your spiritual journey? And you say, well, let me tell you how it began. Because I, I used to not have a spiritual journey, but this is how it got started. Here's a, a third tip to getting the conversation going. Drop curiosity-raising comments into your conversation. Drop curiosity-raising comments into your conversation. Jesus was a master at this. He's sitting by the side of a well one day, and a woman comes to draw water, and he says, hey, have you ever heard about living water? I could give you some. And she's like, what's this living water stuff? And boom, they're off and running. On another occasion, he's walking along the, the Sea of Galilee, and he runs into some fishermen, and he says, hey, guys, I know fishing's cool, but if you, if you ever want to learn about fishing for people, I can tell you how to do it. Fishing for people? What's fishing for What are you talking about? One, one time a religious leader, an older fellow named Nicodemus, comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, like, crawl into my mother's womb and get born a second time? No, here's what I'm talking about. Just dropping those curiosity-raising comments. Maybe you make a comment about a recent answer to prayer you got, or you make a comment about something you learned in church that weekend, or you make a comment about something that you read in the Bible that day that really, you know, wow, I was really pumped by something I read in the Bible today. Now, I was standing in line at Osco last week. I was uh, hoping to fill a prescription, and it was a super long line, and it was agonizingly slow. And the lady ahead of me, an elderly lady, she was getting tired. She was getting exhausted. I could, she was leaning. She had a grocery cart and was leaning over it. And I finally said to her, I said, ma'am, why don't you sit over there? There were seats like chairs about 10 feet away. Why don't you sit there, and I'll hold your place in line. And she said, oh, thank you. So she went and she sat down, and because it was only like 10 feet away, we continued our conversation. And she told me about her hips and about her knees and about everything that wasn't working in her body. And then I filled my prescription, and then I went out and I got in my car, and the first thing that hit me was, oh, I could have gone somewhere with that conversation. You know, what if I had said something like, yeah, we're kind of falling apart on the outside, aren't we? Isn't it good to know God's got something better in store for us? What if I'd said something like that? 
What if I'd said something like, you know, the, the Bible says even though we're wasting away on the outside, God can renew us on the inside. Some of you are, are already thinking, oh, that's so cheesy. Maybe it is. But maybe it opened a spiritual conversation with a lady who otherwise wouldn't hear the good news about Jesus. See, I will never know because I didn't take advantage of the opportunity. You know, someone has said, you don't always have to have a full-blown conversation about Christ. Just put a pebble in somebody's shoe. Have you ever thought of it that way? Just put a pebble in somebody's shoe. Just a passing comment that's made. Even if it doesn't, you know, result in you getting to tell your three-minute version of your, you know, before, surrender, after story. Just a pebble in their shoe that gets them thinking. Maybe the next person, next Christ follower they talk to will be the one who shares their story. Okay, here's, here's a last tip for you. If, if you want to spark these conversations, invite somebody to come to Christ Community Church, an event. Here, the, the next big one is five weeks away. It's Scott Hamilton. Uh, the dude's got a story not only uh, of overcoming an inferiority complex as a, a relatively little guy and ends up becoming a gold medal Olympic winner of figure skating, has won over 70 awards, but also the tragedy of three bouts of cancer and what's with this. And in the midst of this, coming into a relationship with Christ, it's a story to bring a friend to, but here's the deal. When you walk out of a service that you brought a friend to and they've heard a story like this, it is simple. It's a layup, an easy layup to say, you know, my story's not as dramatic as Scott, but, you know, here's how I got started in a relationship with Christ. And boom, you're telling your three-minute version. So, so bring someone to it. If you're a middle school student or you're the parent of a middle school student, can I, can I tell you about a big thing coming up this Friday? Okay, there is a huge outreach event for, uh, for middle school students uh, this Friday, 7 to 11 o'clock at the St. Charles campus. So all campuses, middle school kids are, are coming here. So if you're a middle schooler and you bring a friend and your friend's walking around and say, well, this looks like a cool church, you're able to say, yeah, in fact, it got me introduced to Jesus. Let me tell you my story. And boom, you tell your story. Okay, we're going to close in prayer and then we're going to sing a song, a closing song, and collect our gifts. But I want to pray for you that this week you take the next step in putting your story together and begin to look for opportunities to share it. It's what I've been praying for me this week. You know, I want to practice what I preach. I want to be one of those guys who, yeah, I'm ready with my story. I'm eager to tell my story about what Christ has done for me. And by the way, if you're thinking, well, this was a good start for me, but I could use some more information about how to do this, two books that we're recommending during this series, and you could pick either one up at Resource, both fantastic books. One is called Impossible, written by a really good friend of mine, uh, Lon Allison, who just went to be with the Lord a few months ago. Just tremendous guy. Love to share Jesus with people. And the other book is called The Reluctant Witness, uh, which our staff is currently going through and discussing. So both those books are available at resource. Let me pray for you. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, thank you for what you've taught us today from the Apostle Paul. And I want to pray first of all for those who, as they've been listening to me, they recognize, you know what, I don't have a story. It's not that I've never put mine together, it's that I don't have one. 
There, there, there was never a point at which I surrendered to Christ or I, I look at my life and I can't see changes. And God, I pray right now in the quietness of the heart of anyone who's struggling with that, there would be, there would be a repentance, there would be a turning to you, there would be a, oh Jesus, I want the forgiveness and new life that you offer. I want you to start my story today. And God, for those of us who've been keeping our story to ourselves, God, forgive us. You, you've called us to be ambassadors for Christ, and sometimes we do just a pretty lousy job of being ambassadors. But we want to be bold. We want to be courageous. We want to take your word at its face value that if we just open our mouths and begin to tell our story, your power will show up. So God, give us the boldness, the courage. Help us to pray for such in days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.